Thank you for that prayer. Um, got a bit of an unusual sermon this morning. Uh, in homilies class, they always taught us, never preach with a particular person in mind when you preach. And uh, so I'm going to break that rule today. Uh, they also say, never address your sermon to anyone in particular. And I'm going to break that rule today too. Uh, so uh, you see what happened was on Tuesday at our staff meeting, I asked the, the staff, can you pray for me? I don't know what to preach on. I don't know whether to carry on with my series uh, and, and talk about the scriptures from Second Peter or whether to, to you know, uh, talk about Valentine's Day or what should I do? And uh, so they prayed for me on Tuesday. And Wednesday morning, I woke up and I had this crazy idea for a sermon and I went yeah and then it, it was like the Lord just flooded my brain with this idea these ideas for the the sermon um, and so today I'm addressing this message to the people the three of the people that I love most in this world my three sons so Aaron Jason Kendall listen up <laughs> Here's a word from dad. And I invite all the rest of you to, you know, feel like you're at my house in my, in my uh, uh, family room and I'm just chatting with my sons um, because I believe that, that it's not just my sons that need to hear this message. This is a universal message, really. But particularly, I want to address it to my sons. Now, um, you might think, well, this is kind of like a father-son personal time, don't you think? Maybe I'll just tune out. Well, before you do, let me point something out. First of all, the, there's 24 chapters in the Bible that are addressed to sons. 24! That's a lot of chapters. In fact, that's about 2% of the Bible. And the Bible says that all Scripture is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Even the pieces of the Bible that are addressed to sons. Sons of Solomon, mostly, and uh, T- and Paul, uh, Timothy, uh, he calls him a son. So these are addresses in the Bible. And so if 2% of the Bible is addressed to sons, I felt like, hey, uh, there's a pretty good precedence here. I can address this message to my sons. So, um, and these life principles that I like to share with my son, my sons, are about life relationships and really can be applied to all relationships. Um, so please stay tuned in. So today is Valentine's Day. If you didn't know, it's every once in a while it falls on a Sunday. And for our family, it's kind of a special Valentine's Day. You see, there's never been one like it, and there will never be another one like it again. You see, on July 14, 2019, my son Jason asked Judy to be his wife. And she said yes, and he was so excited. And then uh, last year on September 27th, my son Aaron asked Jenna to marry him, and she said yes, and so that was a very exciting day. And then just a few weeks ago, on January 27th, my son Kendall asked Priscilla to marry him, and she said yes. And so Cupid has been particularly busy at my house, (laughs) And, uh, and and. 
check out all these diamonds. I mean, we're, my family is single-handedly keeping the diamond ring business going in this here city. <laughs> so uh, it's quite likely that all three of my sons are going to get married this coming year. So next Valentine's, they're all going to be like newlyweds. They're not going to be engaged any, anymore. So to me, this is kind of a special Valentine's Day. And I praise God because I am one happy father. I've never had daughters. And I'm about to have three daughters-in-law, and I'm so pumped. Uh, so three sons of mine, listen up. I've got some fatherly advice for you on this Valentine's Day. And more importantly, God's Word has some advice for you. Uh, the main thing that I'd like to say is that only four words long. And it's found, it comes directly from Ephesians chapter 5. And it says, husbands, love your wives. Pretty simple. Now, I can just hear my sons at home going, Oh, Dad, of course we're going to love our wives. We're madly in love. What are you talking about? You know, love your wives, of course. Well, loving your wife in that romantic, powerful, passionate feeling that you have, those are two different things. Huh? What do you mean that's different? I thought love is this powerful emotion that, that connects you. Well, of course, there's a big piece of love that's a feeling and romance and powerful. But loving your wife is not about that. Loving your wife is about planning, organizing, hard work of giving her what she deserves, what she needs. It really doesn't sound romantic, does it? But believe me, loving your wife brings about a romance response every time. Uh, that... If Believe me, if, if the romantic feeling was all you needed for love, then the Apostle Paul would never write, husbands love your wives, because we'd all be doing it. Because I, all the couples I know at one time were romantically connected, uh, at least in our culture. I mean, we base our, our marriage commitments on romance. I mean, that's just part of it. But that's not enough. Romance is one thing. Loving your, the decision to love your wife is something a, a, a little more powerful, actually. And um, I know that, you know, that romantic feeling of love is, feels like the most powerful thing ever and that you're never going to be able to top that. But believe me, unless you water it, unless you organize it, unless you nurture it and cultivate it, it will dry up. It will go sour. And so my advice to you, sons of mine, and all the men in the room and all the men that in their houses listening to this, uh, and the women as well, is to use the passionate love that you have for your spouse, and maybe at present or maybe that you used to have, and use it each day to build something powerful in your relationship to start building lifelong habits that will sustain that passion throughout your lifetime. Let me give you an example. So sons, your mother and I, we go for walks sometimes. What do we always do when we go for a walk? Well, we hold each other's hand. It's, uh, it's a habit. We do it out of habit all the time. Now, I don't know, I've seen thousands of couples walking and a very small percent of the percentage of them hold their hands. And I always think, well, that's really weird. Why aren't they holding hands? I mean, what is going on over there? Uh, because we always hold our hands. Hold hands. Now, I remember the first time 
I held Jennifer's hand. And we walked over to a place we called Passion Park. It was kind of scary. <laughs> we, we, uh, it was so exciting to hold her hand. It was just like, woo! It's just like terrifying and exhilarating all at once. But, you know, after time, that kind of went away. But it always was something special. But after a while, it didn't happen automatically. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm not going to be one of those couples that don't hold their spouse's hands. I'm going to keep doing it. And I was committed to holding Jennifer's hand whenever we went for a walk. And, uh, you know, I don't know if she made that commitment to me or not, but I remember thinking sometimes when I would hold her hand, and, and, or sometimes I would sort of go, man, why am I always the one grabbing her hand? Like, why doesn't she respond to me sometimes, you know? And I would wait, and I would play this crazy game in my head. Well, if she really loved me, she would hold my hand, you know? And sometimes it would, she would, you know? Sometimes it took a while, and sometimes she wouldn't. And finally, I came to this place where I said, you know, this is stupid. I'm just playing tricks in my head. She loves me. I know that. I don't need her to prove her love by holding my, her hand. I'm going to just keep grabbing her hand over and over and over and over, nonstop, forever. Well, I don't think about it anymore. I don't think she does either. But uh, what was it, three days ago, I noticed when we went for a walk, all of a sudden, yeah, she grabbed my hand. And we don't think about it. It's been decades now that we don't think about it because a habit has set in. And if one doesn't grab the other's hand, then the other grabs their hand. And it's just a habit. And this is what I'm talking about. You see, at first, it's just, you know, the passion of love just makes you do it. You want to hold each other, hug each other, hold each other's hand, all that. But then it becomes, I need to make this a commitment in my life. But then later on, it becomes a habit. And then the love flows. And and that habit just happens naturally. And it's almost like you can't go for a walk and be angry and not hold each other's hand because it just doesn't work. It just feels too awkward. And now it doesn't necessarily have to be hand-holding or hugging or whatever. It can be unusual. My parents had a very unusual way of showing their love for one another. Drove us kids crazy. What would happen is after dinner, uh, my mom would start clearing all the dishes off the table. And if she got too close to my dad as she was carrying the dish, just as she was about to grab some dishes, my dad would grab her, haul her down onto his lap, and then give her a hug and start bragging about how he had the best wife in the world and how we, us kids, were blessed to have the best mother in the world. I'll never forget those times when my dad bragged about his wife to his kids. Like, it was weird. But it was cool. And it was powerful. And it was one of those things. My dad and mom, they would never, one would never leave the house without giving the other a kiss. And that when they walked into the house, they would always give each other a kiss. That was part of the routine. But I think it took some work at it. It took commitment to do that. And I challenge all of us to take the commitment to do some of those little things. Pastor... Uh, Sigamachu from uh, Ken Sigamachu from 10th Avenue Alliance, he says that couples who bookend their life with their day with a hug, a hug in the morning, 
to their spouse, a hug in the evening before they go to bed. It doesn't need to be a long, drawn-out hug, but just a hug twice a day. It's almost couples who do that with uh, fervency and, and regularity, not fervency so much, regularity, always doing it. There's almost zero chance of them having severe marital disruption. It's kind of weird. Like, what? A hug a, a hug a day keeps the disruption away? I don't know. It's, it's kind of interesting. Um, but it's powerful. What is that? Why is that? Because if we maintain these little habits, little day-to-day things, even when the difficulties come, even when the dry times come, even when we don't really feel like reaching out, these little connecting points, they are like a little lifeline that says, you know what? I love you no matter what. These are my habits that show you that I love you. Even though we're fighting, I'm still going to grab your hand and we're going to walk down the street. And we can either walk in silence or we can discuss what we're fighting about, but I'm going to hold your hand because we're connected. And this is, this is a pattern of life that happens uh, to us. And we need this. You know, it's these little, it's kind of like a little way of fulfilling uh, the command not to let the sun go down on your anger. Because believe it or not, sons and people in general, we get angry with our spouses. It does happen. And it's a shock the first time. It's like, what in the world? You know, the first time Jennifer was angry with me was like a few days. I already had bought the engagement ring. I just about freaked right out. <laughs> I thought it was the end of the world. <laughs> but uh, praise God, we got through that. And uh, she hasn't been angry like that with me since that day. Can you believe that? Since that day, never expressed anger in the same way. Wow, I'm so blessed to have a a woman like that. Um, But you know what? Sometimes, uh, you know, when we get angry with one another, sometimes I want to solve the problem before the day is done, you know, because I want to obey this scripture verse, you know, that says, do not let the sun go down while you're angry. And and so I I used to try that all the time, you know, and I, I, I just bring up the subject that was causing the pain. And we try to talk it through, and it just got worse and worse and worse. And, and it just didn't work. And then one time I just went, you know what? I'm just going to let it go. And, and the next day, my, Jennifer's all chipper, and, and I'm like, what happened? You know, <laughs> What happened was she had not let the sun go down on her wrath. And the next morning, she was fine. I was still all messed up, but she was fine. <laughs> like, whoa. And so I've learned from Jennifer to just put it away. Just forget it and let it go. And uh, maybe we'll discuss it the next day. Maybe we won't. But I'm not going to be angry about it because God doesn't want us to be angry with one another. And so most of these habit, habits that I've just described, they're physical touch habits, okay? Uh, you know, kissing one another, holding hand, um, daily hugs, coming and going kissing. Uh, they're all in the realm of physical tr- touch, which happens to be one of my primary love languages, so maybe that's where I gravitate towards that. Uh, man, this COVID thing, it's really annoying. Can't touch anybody. It's like, that drives me crazy. Uh, but there's a lot of other types of love languages. And, and different people 
have different emphasis on on love languages. And so uh, five of them that have been talked about quite a bit in the in the last couple of decades are these five: words of affirmation, acts of service, receiving gifts, quality time, and physical touch. And so uh, each one of these things is important in its own right. Well, in its own right. That's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> Each one of them is important in its own right. Uh, now, some of these come very naturally to some individuals. I mean, they're always bubbling over with affirmations to everybody they meet, you know. And uh, other people, they're always just love to give gifts and just do it. They just do it naturally. But guess what? You need to know what language your, your spouse has. Now, one of the cues to what language your, your spouse has as the highest one is probably they do that thing when they want to show love to other people. Um, and so, you know, I haven't... Uh, you see, loving someone isn't about how you give, give away love. It's about how they receive love. So you need to figure out how they receive it. Because it, it's not about you, it's about them. So, you know, I haven't known my future daughter-in-laws for very long. You know, some of them only a few months. And, um, and yet, I've already figured out the way they express love. I mean, one of them does loving affirmation. I mean, just gushes from her, right? Uh, another one just loves to load out the gifts. I mean, she just brings a truckload of gifts. Another one just loves to, to, to be, give quality time and, and touch. I mean, that's what she just loves doing that. And so I see these, they're different. But you need to know what they are and how they, and, and give, the way they give love is a cue. It's not that hard to figure out. Um, and then respond in that love language. Um, my wife and I, we have different love languages. So it's always a challenge to to share that love that we feel in the other language it's easy to share it in the language that i feel is strongest in that's that just comes naturally to me but the one that she she experiences the most that that's difficult for me but if we love someone we will do those things so the next one is uh so the first one is uh love words of affirmation you know after church a lot well when when we have you know a regular service uh people often come up to me after the church and and they just want to greet me and they often say what a great message today and you know my i, I try not to let it go to my head and it, and it really doesn't especially when they come up to me and say what a great ser- sermon today pastor and i wasn't even the one preaching and it's kind of like okay <laughs> i guess this is what just a habit they have of saying thanks for this great sermon i don't know what's going on um but you know what when my wife says hey you d- did really good today that was amazing i felt the lord speak to me oh that just melts me i oh man that's amazing when that happens and she reserves it for the really good ones <laughs> so so I know she's, she means it when she says it. And so that means it's wonderful to hear those things. And so, um, so when, whenever Jennifer sees the work that I do and she says, hey, that's really great, I, I really am impressed with that, whether it's construction or whether it's the way I do counseling or the way I'm leading the church or the way I do a sermon, those are 
very powerful. And so figure out how to share a word of affirmation to your spouse every day. You look beautiful. You did a great job of that bookkeeping. You're such a good listener. I just can't believe how great you are when you listen to me. Um, You're so thoughtful. You're so generous. You're so whatever it might be. Learn to say those things out loud. Don't just think them in your head. Um, And and if, if you can't think of something, then go home and think about it for a while until you can come up with something and then, you know, share it with her. Um, next is acts of service. Well, sons, your mother and I, this area is so, sort of natural to us. This is one of our love languages, and we do it without thinking. And so observe your mother, sons. She makes coffee out of love. She makes meals out of love. She packs your lunches out of love. She does your laundry out of love. She does all this stuff for us, for you guys and me, all the time. Just all the time. And so consider how you might respond. And maybe your, your spouses won't have this love language that your mother has. But guess what? you can still respond in kind. So get up early. Sweep off the car, all that snow. Start it up and have it ready for her when she's going to work. Make a coffee for her. One thing I haven't learned how to do. Sorry, dear. I have to be honest here. (laughs) But find little things that you can do. Maybe it's regular things. Taking out the garbage, filling the the car with gas, fixing the car. I don't know what it is. But find things that your spouse appreciates and serve her with all your heart. Receiving gifts. Now, sons, just make that a habit, okay? There's Valentine's Day, Easter, birthday, anniversary, and Christmas. Five times a year. Make it a habit, okay? Just get something. I don't care what it is. At least a card. And then the really good gift to give is the unexpected one just out of the blue for no particular reason. Those always, those always go twice as far as the expected ones. I don't know why. Uh, and then finally, quality time. Quality time means just setting aside some time to spend together. Uh, usually I recommend that couples go out on dates. Uh, unfortunately, I, you haven't had the example of that well enough in our household, but that is an amazing thing. Just once a week, twice a week, go on a date. Don't stop dating just because you got married. Go out and enjoy yourself. Have fun. Uh, in our house, the meal times are guarded. Um, you know, as a pastor, social life is pretty vital. And I get invited out to, to dinner quite often. And unless my family is invited, I will almost always turn it down. Because dinner time is family time for me. Now, I'll go out for lunch with you any day of the week. Um, but if you're going to invite me, you've got to invite my whole family <laughs> for dinner. Because that's, that's family time. And I guard that well. In fact, you know, sometimes sons, that you, you, get ups- you wonder, why do I get upset when you don't come to dinner when you're called? The reason I get upset is because we have enshrined this time as a family time. And it's like you're thumbing your nose at us when you don't come. Now, that's getting personal. (laughs) But that's the point. You need to cut out some time that you say, no, this is for my wife. And it's always going to be the same. So quality time. 
Physical touch, we already talked about this, but let me add this one little tidbit. Words of affirmation, acts of service, gifts, quality time, physical touch, and especially that intimate kind of physical touch, actually require planning and effort. It's not just all spontaneous. You know, like, oh, I'm going to give words of affirmation only when I feel like it. I'm going to give gifts only when I feel like giving a gift and I'm feeling in the mood. I'm only going to have intimate uh, physical time with my wife when, when I'm in the mood and I feel like it. No. You need to plan these things sometimes. Sometimes there's children in the way. There's activities up to all over the place. And you need to plan. When am I going to say words of affirmation? Maybe you need to write them out. Stick a little note in her Bible or stick a little note in her dashboard so that she sees the words of affirmation. You need to plan, uh, organize uh, for uh, times together. Maybe a a little getaway or, or whatever. But you need to plan. It's not all... There's this lie out there that says, unless it's spontaneous, it's not love. Baloney. I think it's much more difficult to plan and organize and, and, and surprise my wife than just waiting for the feeling to come along that we can do something spontaneous together. No, it doesn't work that way. We're, our lives are too jam-packed and we're too busy. Um, romance needs to be cultivated. And if you wait until the perfect moment to do things, you're just never going to do it. And your life will slip by and all of a sudden, oh... Yeah, we're just two people living in the same house. Young men, your love life needs to be exercised and developed. You know, nobody goes out to run a marathon uh, without practicing. And it's the same way with keeping your love alive in your your relationship. You have to practice it over and over and over again. You know, you look at these elderly couples who just are so much in love with one another. That didn't happen just spontaneously. Spontaneously. It happened through hard work, connected with the spontaneous, connected with that passionate love they have for one another. Those things, two things work together. Um, you want to create a good, loving atmosphere? Practice, practice, work hard, and you'll become an expert in loving your wife. Uh, you know, trying really hard on marathon day does not compare with practicing and exercising beforehand that's what counts we're trying really hard on the on the day of the of the race uh, well yeah it's important but it's not what counts and so keep working on these things my friends um, now i want to tell you a little story about my dad my dad he loved his greenhouse it was a huge greenhouse i mean it, it was uh, 30 feet wide 100 feet long it's massive and about, uh, about a quarter of it was dedicated to a vine, a grapevine. And this grapevine would grow up, and you had this trellis all across the top of the, the greenhouse. And the grapevine would just cover the whole thing. Every year, he would, it would start back, and it, every year it would grow and cover the whole thing. It was amazing. And, and every year, there'd be huge... You'd walk into the greenhouse, and there'd be these huge clusters of grapes hanging off it everywhere. And it was a really cool sight, because it was the first thing you saw when you walked in the, in the greenhouse, all these grapes. And it was actually semi-cool underneath the... Uh, 
even though it was 40 degrees in the, in the greenhouse, it felt a little cooler under the, the grapevine. Why do I say this? Because grapes will grow just fine on the ground. Well, not just fine, but they will grow on the ground. But what happens is the grapes then uh, start to form on the ground, and the moisture stays on the grapes, and they rot before they're even ripe. And they're just useless. And so you have to build a trellis to hold it up. And so what I'm saying today is to build a trellis for your love to flourish in your life. And it will produce fruit. And the trellis is made up of these things of encouraging words and and gifts and and all the things that I've already talked about. This is the structure that you need to make all of those things the habit. And then that feeling and the passion will produce fruit in your marriage. It will be amazing fruit. So, now this, this command for husbands to love your wives, it's smack dab in the middle of this passage about, you know, commands and, and instructions to husbands and wives on how to live a good life. And part of this passage uh, has largely been misappropriated and misunderstood by many people. Um, and this is, the, this is the part that's mostly misunderstood. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. Um, his body for which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now, let me tell you, uh, this whole, these few verses, it doesn't go over very well with the women's liberation movement. I mean, they just see these verses as evil, as the instigator, and they blame these verses for women's subjugation and suppression in West, Western culture. They just say, that Bible verse right there is to blame for all the pain and sorrow and suffering that women have suffered under, the, under their husband's thumb. But as I said earlier, I believe every part of the Bible is inspired by God and is useful for training and rebuking. And, and, uh, and so I totally reject this idea that these verses teach subjugation or suppression of women, nor do they teach male dominance in any way, or even that men have the final say in their home. It doesn't teach that at all. It just doesn't. Uh, in fact, I, I dare you to find a passage in the scripture that says men should rule or have dominance over their wives. It's just not there. It just doesn't exist. Now, some people try to make this, this verse say that, but it doesn't say that. In fact, I would, I would say it says quite the opposite. Uh, you see, this, this passage does, however, make a difference between men and women. It addresses husbands, and it addresses wives, and it addresses them as different. They're not the same. And uh, the women's liberation movement and other forces in our society have pushed this idea that the same or that equal means the same. No. We maintain, the Bible maintains, equal but different. God created us male and female. We're different. We don't operate the same way. And he gave different roles to men and women. 
And when you understand these roles, they make perfect sense. And there's absolutely no subjugation and no dominance. It's not there. Uh, even though at first glance it might look like it's there. Um, you see, here's the deal. Just because God has placed husbands at the head of the home doesn't mean that God has given them the right to rule their home or dominate their wives. That's not what headship means, not at all. Headship in the, conche- uh, in, in the context means leadership and responsibility. Get that into our heads. It means leadership and responsibility. Now, the secular view of leadership is often one of tyranny. It's often dictatorship, dominance, and this idea that I have authority, therefore you must do what I say. This is a secular view of of, uh, authority, of headship. It's not the Christian view, not by a long shot. What is the Christian view? Well, um, the Christian view is that that, that, that men are called to be leaders and to, to, uh, to be responsible for their families, their wives included. It means being responsible. Now, I say that this is the real meaning because of the way Jesus talked about leadership. You see, one day, um, James, the, the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus and said, uh, Master, can you do what I want? And Jesus is like, well, she actually knelt down in front of him, paying him homage. And, and, and Jesus said, well, what do you want? Well, I'd like one of my sons to sit on your right hand and one on, the, on your left hand in your coming kingdom. I, I'd like to have them have places of honor. And Jesus made a very, very weird response to that. He didn't say no and he didn't say yes. He said, can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? What does that have to do with places of honor? Well, we know in hindsight that the cup Jesus was referring to is the cup of his crucifixion by a horrible death. That his pain and his suffering that he was going to go through on behalf of mankind. We know. And we know that James and John actually did drink that cup. They were uh, tortured for their faith. But why did Jesus say that? Well, if we carry on in the passage, um, what does crucifixion have to do with honor? Well, you see, the next verse says this. Jesus says to them, he calls his disciples around, because they start, they found out that James and John's mother had come and, and asked this question, and they started ridiculing the brothers, you know. And Jesus calls them together, and he says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. This is Christ Jesus teaching us about authority in in the church and in the home. Not so with you. We don't rule over people. We don't exercise authority over people. That's not what headship means. We don't do it that way. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must first become your servant. And whoever finds, wants, to be, wants to be first must be your slave. And just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Oh, there's the connection. That's why Jesus said, can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? You see, when we suffer for the ones we serve, when the ones we're, we're 
in authority over and have, have headship, when we suffer for them, that's when we get promoted. It's kind of a weird backwards thing. Backwards from the world, but I think the world's got it upside down. You see, Christ showed what servant leadership was all about. He was the one who washed the disciples' feet. He didn't get the disciples to wash his feet. He was the one who died for the disciples. Most kings, you know, they send their their armies into battle and allow their armies to die for them. But this king, he goes into battle and he dies for his people. It's so mixed up. And yet it's so real. And that's the kind of headship that Christ calls uh, us men to live in our families. Jesus is the model for this. So when Paul says the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, the body, his body of which he's the savior, it's a package deal. You can't leave off that part, his body, that he's the savior of. It's part of the deal. That's the way husbands are the head in their home. They're the head in the same way Jesus was head and sacrificed himself for his church. Oh my goodness, that's a different view of headship. That's a servant role. And yet that's what this is all about. Jesus didn't just die for us. The following verses says that he also nurtures us, provides us with his Holy Spirit, washes us with the reading of the word, makes us clean. Jesus has never left his post as the servant of the church. And believe me, Jesus Christ still serves. His church serves me serves my wife, serves all of you. Jesus is a servant. So headship is another word for slave in God's economy. I mean, look at our our passage again. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. There's a purpose for this. Cleansing her by washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without spot or wrinkle. Holy and blameless. Jesus is busy at this all the time. He's working in your life. He's working in my life to make us holy. That's his role. And he does it as a servant. And it goes on to talk about Jesus caring and feeding the church. Well, guess what, husbands? Guess what, sons? That's your role, to emulate Christ, to bless your wife, particularly in the area of spirituality. Remember that trellis I was talking about? You need to build it out of self-sacrifice. That's, that's what it's made out of. It's pure self-sacrifice, giving, giving, giving. Um, now, the other thing about headship is that it includes responsibility. This can be seen in, in the story of Adam and Eve. Um, you know, Eve took the fruit because the, the serpent uh, seduced her and... and caused her to take the fruit and she gave some to her husband and he ate of it too but when god comes what does god say eve where are you eve where are you i'm looking for you no doesn't say that he says adam where are you he puts the responsibility for this mess up on adam and when he challenges them he doesn't say eve did you eat of the tree i told you not to eat of He says, Adam, did you eat of the tree that I told you not to eat of? He puts the responsibility on the male, on the the husband. Why? 
it was kind of Eve, the one that was deceived first. Like, why doesn't she have to take blame for this? Well, she does take some of the blame. But the primary responsibility is on Adam. And you might go, well, I mean, how does Adam, Adam supposed to know what Eve's doing? She's off there talking to a snake, you know, like, ah, uh, the Bible's very clear. Adam was with her. And it was his responsibility to convince her not to take the forbidden fruit. But he failed miserably in that responsibility. He missed his calling. He was right there when the serpent tempted her, but he failed to protect her from the evil one. He failed. And they both fell into Satan's scheme. So husbands, love your wives by leading them spiritually. A very good male role in the home is not dominance, but servanthood. Leadership towards the things of God. Now, the woman's liberation movement has painted men as, um, you know, monsters who only know how to abuse and take advantage of the situation. And they're stronger, so they just abuse us all the time. But I want to tell you, I know a lot more men of God than men who aren't men of God. And I don't see that trait at all. These men that I know, they're amazing. They love to give to their wives. They love to, to bless their lives. They're always about opening the door and you know, getting gifts and making sure that their wives are happy. They're all about that. And so this is why Paul tells wives to submit to their husbands. Because a servant leader is not all full of himself. He, but he still has to lead, okay? But he doesn't have demanding, he's not able to demand that you follow me. I'm, God, I'm the head of the home, so you've got to listen to me. That's not part of his arsenal. He can't use that one. I hope I explained that well enough. He only can use servanthood and leadership showing the way. He can't use pushing the way. He can't use dominance. He can't use ruling. I'm the one in authority. He can't use those. Christ said, no, 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 no. You're a servant leader. You know, God doesn't force anybody to do his will. God doesn't go, you know, like hold a big hammer over our heads. If you sin, I'm going to smack you out of the air. You know, he doesn't do that. And God calls us as leaders ahead of our home to do the same thing. We don't use big hammers. We don't use coercion. We don't use uh, threatening. These are not part of our arsenal. We don't have that. We have servanthood and kindness. That's all we got. And we need to lead with those things. And so basically, the Bible tells wives to submit because if their husbands are servant leaders, they're going to acquiesce or comply to their wives all the time. That's my natural stance. My natural stance is, okay, well, okay, we'll do it your way, dear. I, I, I do that naturally. But I wouldn't be much of a leader if I was constantly doing that. You see, my wife constantly has it in mind that I need to do as my husband wishes. And so leadership becomes very easy in this case. 
Now, you might say, well, pastor, you're a leader, and you lead your, ha- your family, and you, you, you know, you're, you're the senior pastor, so you don't have to answer to anybody except maybe God. Uh, so you're not used to having someone telling you what to do. No, hold it a sec. That's not quite true. I was an associate pastor for a number of years. I was a youth pastor for another year, number of years. I had senior pastors that told me what to do. And they told me how to do it, too. And sometimes I thought their ideas were better. But guess what? I honored them for the sake of Christ. And I did what they asked me to do for Christ's sake because they were over me and had authority over me, and I didn't want their... um, I I didn't want them to, to have to fight with me to get them to get me to do their will see there's this verse in hebrews chapter 13 17 that i think applies we have it says this have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account see there's the responsibility part as a pastor i have to give an account for what gets taught at eastgate and some pastors they do all the teaching I don't think that's right. I believe that you have to cultivate teaching. And so, uh, but it means that it opens it up to all kinds of things. But we have to give an account. So the reason you have to have confidence and submission to leaders is why. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden. For that will be of no benefit to you. And I think this fits powerfully into the home atmosphere. And so this is for my future daughter-in-laws. Remember, when you submit to your husbands, you make their task so much easier to love you because they can't command you, they can't coerce you, they can't threaten you. They can only love you. And if you submit willingly to them, then it won't be a burden to lead you. Well, where, are you where are they going to lead you? And, and believe me, I've, I've modeled this for my children my whole life. And my future daughters-in-law, I want you to know that you're getting some godly men. <laughs> These men know how to give. They will love you. I know it. Because I've seen them. They know how to love. And uh, I only pray that all God's people would know how to love like that. Okay. Just getting a little personal here. (laughs) Didn't think that was going to happen. I'm pretty sure that my sons will acquiesce to my daughters-in-law. Whatever you want, my sons are going to want to give it to you all the time. So don't make their life a burden. (laughs) Just acquiesce to them, please. Uh, And sons, do your job well, and it'll be easy for your wives to do that. I want to end with this one thought. That this trellis that you're building, the trellis where love can grow, It needs to have a center 
spot, a center vine, as it were. And that's Jesus Christ himself. And when you bring your family to Christ, you do such a great service for yourself. It's amazing. The Bible says two are better than one because they have good return for their labor. If one falls down, the other can help the other up. But pity the one who falls and has no one to help, help them up. Also, if two lie together, they can keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? The one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, but a cord of three strands is not easily broken. Now, I could, I could bring up a few strings here and break the one strand, break the two strand, and see that the third strand won't break. Most strings are wound with three strands because it's very powerful. It's a very strong way to make a string. The third strand in your relationship is God. And we need to bring you, you need to bring that into, into your relationship. Um, spiritual discussion. You know, once a week, you should have a spiritual discussion. Bible study together, either the two of you or with others, and then discuss it afterwards. Praying together weekly or daily. These are things that build Christ, uh, weave that third strand into your relationship where you do these things together. And so, sons, you want to be ahead of your household? Make this your highest goal, to weave the God thread into your relationship. Make him a part of your daily routine, prayer, Bible reading, discussion. Let, his, let your leadership shine in your marriage in this area, and your marriage bond will never fail. May God bless all of you.